From the Political Science Department at UW-Madison, I'm Adam Wigger. I'm Mia Wagner. And I'm Michael Mikowski. In this podcast series, we will speak with UW-Madison faculty members and other experts to hear their thoughts on the COVID-19 pandemic, as well as the political and global changes that the situation has warranted. This is 1050 Bascom, COVID-19. Today on 1050 Bascom, we are excited to welcome Eric Wilcotts, the new Dean of the College of Letters and Sciences here at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. Dean Wilcotts, who is also the Mary C. Jacoby Professor in the Department of Astronomy, has crafted an impressive professional narrative during his time here at the university. Thank you so much for joining us, Dean Wilcotts. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Before we jump into any other questions, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and your career here at the university? Sure. So I, uh, I arrived in, in Madison in, in 1995, so I've been here quite a while. Prior to that, I was a, a postdoctoral fellow at the National Radio Astronomy Observatory in Socorro after finishing my PhD at the University of Washington uh, out in Seattle. Uh, so I got here in 95. Um, originally, I was only supposed to be here for a year or two as a, as a lecturer, uh, but ended up staying. And so I joined the faculty in the Department of Astronomy in 1996 uh, and have been here ever since, um, having a, a, a great career. So at some point I, along the way, I became chair of the Department of Astronomy as, as most of my colleagues do. Uh, and then at the, the invitation of then Dean Gary Sandifer, who invited me to apply to be the Associate Dean for Natural Mathematical Sciences, I started into this, this path of academic administration and, and held that post for better part of 10 years. Uh, and then uh, when Dean Schultz they did some, some looking at the structure of LNS administration and it decided we needed a, a deputy dean, asked me to step into the role of deputy dean. I did that for, for a little over a year until uh, Dean Schultz became provost uh, and then stepped in as the interim dean. And now, now after the search is completed, uh, have the, the title of Dean of the College of Letters and Science. Yeah, that's it, it sounds like an amazing journey from start to finish. When you started here at the university, did you ever think one day you would become the dean of the largest college on campus? <laughs> uh, absolutely not. I started here uh, when I joined the faculty. The idea was because I could do some great astronomy and, and work with great students. And that, that, that was what I was entirely focused on, right? Was, was doing my job as a, as a professor of astronomy. And I think the, the administration you know, sort of grew over time and my, my interest in, in joining the administration grew over time as I got to see more and more about what the college was doing and the different aspects of the college and the university. Um, and so that, that has developed over time. It's just something when I started, this was not where, where I, I thought my career was going. Dean Wilcox, you have found yourself in an incredibly important role in an incredibly important time. How has the reality of the job now differed from what you thought it might look like uh, before everything has kind of hit the fan? <laughs> Everything's got to hit the fan. Yeah, that's, that's a good way. So, so I do remember at the beginning of, of the academic year back in, in the late August 2019, uh, we always start the academic year with a, a, a meeting of all the department chairs and administrators so that the year ahead, what our plans are, and, you know, the big story of the, at the moment. 
back then was the fact that with the, the enrollment expansion that we've done, resources were finally, we finally have resources to do things. It's going to be an exciting year of, of, of hiring, of, of moving forward, a bunch of things. And so, so that was sort of the theme. Um, and then, and then COVID, you know, crept into our reality um, and, and brought a lot of that to a, not to a halt, but gave us a different perspective on, on that. And now I think with the, you know, with the social racial justice issues that have, have come to the fore, you know, that causes us to rethink some things and I think reorder some priori priorities about what things we were, we were planning on doing. So it's challenging in the sense that I think COVID is a, a bump. Um, you know, I think we will, as an institution, like, like other institutions in the country, we will get over the immediate impact of, of COVID on questions of how we're teaching classes, things like that. Um, it will leave a lasting impact on, I think, revitalizing our dedication to making sure the, the residential experience that we offer for students like yourselves is still really high quality. Um, and I think you know, folks of your generation, certainly rising, you know, the, the seniors who are looking forward to college, they really want to get out of the house. They really want to want to get away from that online environment. So we've got to be more more mindful of that. Uh, but then I think the issues of diversity and, and justice and equality rise to to a higher le even higher level than what they were before. They were important before, but now I think there's just a greater emphasis. So I think it's it's making us deal with some short-term things, um, but also I think thinking about how do we move move ahead on, on our priorities. Yeah, you you found yourself like at one of the highest levels of administration at the university. What has like the the decision making process been like at that level, both in reference to COVID and uh, you know our social protests happening across the country? Yeah, so COVID COVID is a once in a we hope right once in a multi generation event. Um, there's not, I don't know, there's a single person out there who thought about, you know, what are we going to do when a pandemic comes, right? And, and the university and all universities have spent a lot of time over the last few years thinking about, you know, what to do in, in an emergency. Um, so you can imagine if you're a university in Florida, think about, well, what do we do when a hurricane shuts us down, right? You've got to think about that. And so you think about that in the terms of a few days, a week, right? Maybe two weeks. You don't think about closing yourself down for half a semester and and then trying to grapple with all of the all of those things. So this is uncharted territory that, that nobody's trained. So the decision making has been, I think, reflects the really unusual, unusual time. And I think there's a pressure, clearly had a pressure early on to to act quickly, to do what we could to mitigate the, the spread of, of COVID-19. Now we're in a period of, boy, we've gotten through that and you would normally in a, in a crisis like this sort of start to breathe that sigh of relief, like, ooh, God, made it through that. But now we're still, we're still in it, right? And, and the pandemic hasn't gone away. Uh, so the decision-making now is sort of shifting to, okay, how do we think about you know, making decisions now that set us up for the fall so that we can be successful in what we're, what we're trying to do. So it's been, it's been, you know, um, 
as I explained to a colleague of mine a, a couple of weeks ago, I'd rather be in a position of, of, of working with making those decisions than just be on the receiving end of those, of those decisions. I mean, that's one of the, the good things about being in administration. You help steer things. Uh, but it's, it's, been, it's been an interesting watching how organization works. It reveals where our communication isn't great. Right. When we've got different parts of the university not talking to other parts of the university as well as they should be. Um, so that's been a, sometimes been a challenge. Uh, but it also has revealed just how talented the people are who work here at, at sort of all aspects of the university to sort of rise up to, to meet the challenge of still dealing with what we did last semester. But then that challenge is, as I say, it's still ongoing. And so there's been some great work done by a lot of people uh, to try to keep things moving. I think we have been, you know, and this is, is Chancellor Blank's leadership, we have been admittedly conservative and you know, lower C conservative in our approach to talking about the fall. And, and the example I brought up with my, my colleagues on senior staff just this morning, is it was about probably three or four weeks ago when the president of the University of Arizona very publicly said U of A was going to be open in the fall, they're going to charge ahead. Um, you know, buried down below that was the caution, you know, pending public health guidance, right? So a lot of the, the bold proclamations that you, that you see do come with that warning, right, that, that we don't always read or we don't always hear. And then when you look at where the cases of COVID in Arizona are going right now, uh, and the governor coming out of it yesterday, really raising that specter that you know Arizona might have to go back to a to a shutdown if this rapid increase continues. You realize that we are in a in in territory where we just don't know what public health will allow us to be able to do. We can plan, we can try to understand, we can mitigate. But fundamentally, right, we just don't we just don't know. And so we've been, as I say, intentionally conservative. I think it's the right approach. Um, Mitch Daniels probably has a different agenda uh, for for what he's trying to accomplish than other university presidents. Um, and so I think we we try to stay away from too much of the political pressure. You know, recognizing that yes, parents want to know, students want to know. Um, and we're trying our best to come up with an answer that we can stick with uh, and one that makes sense and one that can be implemented rather than coming out with an answer that three weeks from now we're going to have to say, well, you know, we thought we were going to be able to do this, but we can't, uh, and then have to change our minds. And I think a, a lot of our university colleagues around the country may end up in a position where, where those bold proclamations that they, that they made are going to have to be tempered a lot when reality sets in, in in August. So you have mentioned a couple different uh, unforeseen challenges that you have come to face in this tackling of this problem at the administrative level. Um, are there any other challenges or problems like at that level that the public just don't see? Uh, yeah, I think the the Budgets are always are always a challenge, right? And I think the the recognition that you know over the last decade we the state budget for higher education has has shrunk. We understand that you know constraints on the budget to the to the university. In time we still hold and have that mission of doing forefront research uh, and providing an excellent world class education, right? So we we have to do those things. You know those things actually cost money. 
and so we have been very intentional about figuring out ways of, of diversifying that portfolio of resources that we need in order to be able to achieve the goals that we want to, we want to achieve. And so I, I think the, the, you know, the public, you know, should understand there's creative thinking, there's innovative thinking about how do we, how do we maintain that excellent UW Madison. Um, and I think it's also on us to remind the public you know, constantly of the value and the importance of the of the institution and what and what we do. And I think we've been a whole lot better about that over the last few years than, than we were than we were earlier. So I think those are those are some of the challenges. Um, you know, and I think I think we can work through those. Uh, but that's certainly one one big challenge that the public might not appreciate as much as as some of the other ones. Can you hear me now? Oh yeah, I can. Yes. Woohoo! Okay, I messed with my audio settings. Um, all right, so we're gonna move into um, some more current events, I guess, uh, based questions. So recently you re released a statement on the civil rights protests that have erupted across the country. And in it, you write that the systemic and institutional prejudice are problems that are not too large or pervasive for us to solve. Do you have a message for students or listeners on how they can help tackle these societal issues? Yeah, I think certainly, you know, for our students, and I don't, you know, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to get too much on a soapbox or, or, or preach or anything like that. But I think there's a couple of things that our, our student body can be, can be thinking about. And one is, you know, one of, I think what we're, a lot of us are being asked to do is, is to listen and to hear each other. And, and we've got to be able to have conversations with, with each other and understand where each other what, what their experience has been and, and, and what that lived experience has meant for them and, and take that and value that and value those encounters with, with people who are not like us, right? Um, and, and that means getting out of our bubbles, right? Um, and so I think that we can, that's something that students, particularly on a, on a campus like ours, can, can spend time and be intentional about. Um, it's also educating, right? And, and understanding the, the full history of, of our country, understanding where, again, that drives a bit of that perspective. What does it mean to grow up as an African-American in the United States in the 2020s, right? And so we've got to make sure that we all understand those, those experiences and understand in the history. Um, and then part of it is, is, is change. And we see a lot of folks on the streets who are marching to change things. Um, one of the great things I saw last week that actually former President Obama put out was to remind us all that you know, change is pretty local uh, and there's going to be a whole lot of pressure this fall because we've got a big election coming. Presidential elections are always big. But what about those elections at the local level? Right? What about those elections that Determine who's going to be on the school board, who's going to be on the city council in, in be it in, and I live in Fitchburg, Wisconsin, right? Elections that determine who's on the Fitchburg city council to the school board, et cetera. Are we, as particularly the, the young, the younger generation, participating in that local activity in a way that begins to change things in our local community? Uh, and so I think there's a level of engagement that we've got to have you know, at the, at the that civic engagement that can really begin to, to address things and, and, and change things. So those are, those are a couple things I think we can do. Um, you know, and it's, it's, we can't shy away from the problem. We've got to, we've got to be, be honest and, and, and face it and then try to, try to change things structurally to, 
to make sure that we are living up to our aspirations? We are obviously in unprecedented territory with these protests, with this state of the globe. Have you ever seen anything comparable here on campus or anywhere else you've worked in your career? Uh, certainly, certainly. I mean, no. I mean, that's one of the, the and I'm not a social scientist, so I'll leave, the, I'll leave it to the social scientists to really give us a, I mean, you guys are all our political scientists, so you know this better than I do. Um, but, you know, in my, in my lifetime, we have seen you know, a, a number of and repeated incidents of the kind of brutality that we saw at the killing of George Floyd. Right. That in and of itself was not a new, a new event, right? And we've actually seen events like that captured on in social media, uh, be it in New York City or LA. We've seen these events, and they have always triggered a local outcry of protest right, and over the last the last twenty years. Um, what's really different, at least from 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 my perspective, is just how widespread the protests have been, how diverse the, the protesters are. It's across the country, it's going happening across the world. We're seeing it in cities large, we're seeing it in small cities, we're seeing it in places that, that you would not have expected to see this level of activity. Um, so that gives me hope that maybe we've, we, there's a moment, you know, tragically caused, that is A, causing an awakening and might, be the moment for a lot of folks and say, you know what, we've had enough. We can't do this again. It really is time to make make some some significant changes. So so I I I have not seen this. I imagine folks who who lived through the some of the Vietnam protests might harken back and the civil rights protests of the 60s um, might harken back to to those days. But certainly in in my experience I have not seen anything anything quite like this. Um, and I think our challenge as an institution is to take that momentum, sustain it, and really help make a difference um, as, we, as we go forward. So do you have any messages of inspiration for students or recent grads who are entering the job market or considering what their futures may look like in the next couple months, especially going into this um, economic landscape? So I've got, I've got it. Yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a great question. Right? The economic landscape is lousy. Um, the job market, is, as you might know, right, is, is, is really, really ugly. Um, you know, so I, I, I get that. I understand that. We understand that. And I think our, the, the, you know, the couple of things I would say is, one is that your education, believe it or not, has prepared you to be able to deal with this, right? And if it is not exactly what you think you learned in college, you have have learned the ability to learn and the ability to adapt, and, and that will that will work to your benefit um, going going forward. Um, you know, on a practical side, you know, this is one of the reasons we we invested heavily in in SuccessWorks. Um, that's to provide the kind of career services that our students need uh, in order to be able to navigate the job market. And it starts with with you know finding internships, et cetera, doing interviews. But more importantly, making connections to to industries, making connections to our alums who are out there in the world and and have, and have been successful in trying to use that that knowledge to help our students navigate um, the, the the tough times that are that we're in now. You know, again, I'm a little out of my expertise, but I think you know we're seeing the impact of COVID on our economy is is really really stark. 
great. And I think and 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 it helps us understand the economy a bit a bit a bit more. But I think it also shows directions of where our students can be thinking about there's still, as from my understanding, jobs still available, there's internships available. Uh, we've got to be a little bit more creative in doing that. So my my words of inspiration are certainly do not give up. Um, certainly use this time to somehow with whatever it takes to make yourself better, to do something, do something to improve who you are and what you're doing. Um, you know, if you're in college, right, stay in college, you know, get, get the education and get the tools that you need to be successful. You know, take advantage of the career services that, that we, that we do offer. Um, keep in touch, right, and, and use this Badger network to help move you along to to whatever's next. I think it's one of the things that that has historically distinguished a university like ours from some of the other very prominent private institutions. Um, you know, the private institutions make it abundantly clear that as a student you are connected to this alumni network that is there to help you advance and right in the with the, with one lens on it it's sort of an old boys kind of network that oh yeah you're an alum of my institution so i'm going to help you out public institutions haven't done that as well as a private institution even though we have a lot of alumni and so we opportunities for for our students to connect with alumni young and old take advantage of them um, because they can help you move your advance your, your career and advance what it is you want to do. So I think there's there's a, a definitely advantage of the opportunities that you've got here. There are a lot of them, um, and I'm pretty sure we will we will emerge from this. You'll be able to land that job that you want to land. Get to the graduate school. That a little longer may take a little more digging, but certainly don't don't hesitate to to reach out for help. And you just keep trying. Thank you so much, Dean Wilcox, for these amazing words of inspiration. Thank you so much for joining us today. We so appreciate you taking the time to be on the podcast, and we really look forward to working with you in your capacity as Dean. My pleasure. Thank, thanks for having me. For more information regarding the podcast, please visit policy.wisc.edu and search for 1050 Bascom. For more information on the university's policies and responses to the pandemic, please visit covid19.wisc.edu. You can find more episodes on all streaming platforms. And if you enjoyed this episode, please rate, follow, and subscribe. Thanks for listening to 1050 Bascom COVID-19. Stay safe and take care of each other.